everyone. Welcome to Le Vital Core Salon. I'm Cara. I'm your host and salonniere. Each episode, my job is to introduce you to a modern woman leaving her unique stain on the world without letting bullshit or burnout stop her. Tall order, considering how wild the world is most days, but that's what I aim to do, to introduce you to a woman that will inspire you and hopefully give you some ideas and energize you. That's why we're here, folks. And welcome back to returning listeners. Welcome to new friends. This episode is sort of hilarious and just hit me right in the feels, I'll be honest. It's strikingly ironic that two organized planners sat down and ultimately part of our conversation is about you never really know how things are going to come together. And I think how this episode came together is a working example of that. Today's episode is a great working example of you really never know how things are going to come together. Back in January of this year, I had hosted a craftworking event at the Hearmance Library in Kuksaki. And that's here in upstate New York. So, you know, about an hour or so from the house. When I'm facilitating a craftworking event, it usually means I'm inviting women to come together and basically craft something with their hands, so something really simple and not intimidating, while networking and getting to know each other and slipping in some questions and conversations about self-care and talking about the benefits of crafting and how it can trigger a response in the body that's very similar to meditation. Anyways, I could geek on about this stuff and obviously I talk about this a lot at, at events. But I was doing this craftworking session at the Hearmance Library, and the librarian, who is awesome, Christine, thank you, would not let me leave without checking out a copy of 363 Days of Tea, a visual journal on used tea bags. Because something about the 33K task list project that I'm working on reminded her of that book. That led me to discover and eventually reach out to today's guest, Ruby Silvius. Ruby is a visual artist and a graphic designer whose recent work includes experimenting on recycled and found materials. And on January 3rd, 2015, she started a project called 363 Days of Tea. As a visual daily record of her impression of the moment, using, get this, emptied out, dried out, flattened tea bags as little miniature canvases and altering them to create a new work of art every single day for 363 days. If you haven't seen this on Instagram, definitely check out her work. And she's been a working designer and artist for a long time. She draws, she paints, she prints, she collages, and a lot of her work is moody, evocative, and sometimes whimsical. And that eventually led to her becoming the author of the book that I got sent home with and how I found her. And she's going to talk about all of that. She's going to talk about where just starting this simple project of I'm going to paint one teabag a day has led her. And let me just give a little bit away. Although she's been educated in the U.S., Europe, and Asia, and she's currently living here in upstate New York, her art is exhibited internationally, and her work has taken her all over the world. 
and you can find her work in public and private collections. This was such a fun conversation to have. I am so deeply grateful for Ruby coming to hang out with me in Le Vital Corps Salon. Voila, my conversation with Ruby. Hey, Ruby, thanks for dropping by Le Vital Corps Salon today. Hi, how are you doing, Kara? I'm well, I'm well. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Yes, me too. And thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so excited for people to hear about the work that you're doing because I know once I saw your book and saw what you were doing, I literally fell in love with it. There's there's a special soft spot in my heart for found object art. So I'm excited to hear all about that. But I know these days you're a visual artist and you're the graphic designing principal at Design Plus. Was this something you always thought you'd do or did, did you always know you were going to be an artist? I was always creative ever since I was five. I, I knew that I wanted to do, you know, stuff with my hands. But did I always think that I was going to be an artist? I, I'm not really sure. I mean, my my life has taken me in, in, you know, in different directions. So I don't think that was sort of in my mind consciously. But for the better part of my working life, I have been a visual artist and a graphic designer, so I guess this is what I've always wanted to do, and I absolutely love it, and aren't I lucky? <laughs> That's amazing. There's a lot of people listening that probably wish they could say that right now. Yes, it, it's true, and it, it's taken me a while to sort of discover that myself, but, but it is true. I mean, I, I love what I do. What was that discovery process like for you? Um, I, I think it happened just in the last, because if, if you ask me, uh, okay, so I've always been a visual artist and a graphic designer, but I feel like in the last, I want to say three or four years, those have been in caps, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so those have been, you know, so I've been sort of in the limelight because of my work. And I never thought that I would be this and, and people would know me as this person. I mean, I, I was always doing those things. But um, so to discover that I can actually inspire people to, to discover that people actually love my work. I mean, who does not want that, you know? That's amazing. Let's back up for the sake of people listening, because I know your work. Who is this person, this artist that you're talking about that's that's been on this capitalized discovery process for the last few years? Um, so who is this person? I mean, this is a person who's been in the creative field for, like I said, for the better part of, of my working life, I've been doing this. But back in 2015, so I was 58 years old, and I wanted to give myself a challenge. And I mean, just like any artist who wants to strive to do, you know, something every day, I decided that year that I was going to do, well, create something every single day. I mean, that's that's 
kind Huge. of a tall order. <laughs> it is, it is. And so we were in New York City because we always spend New Year's in, in, in New York City. And I said to my husband, this is what I want to do. You know, this is what I resolved to do. But I did not know what it it was. I knew that I wanted to do something, but I did not know what it was going to be. And the first thing that um, that came to mind was something small, something realistic. It was going to be a painting of sorts, a drawing, whatever that I was going to create. But it had to be manageable. It had to be doable. It had to be a realistic size. And I, I had been, you know, experimenting on painting on tea bags um, the prior year. And I thought, well, maybe I could do that. And but the realization did not come to me until the third day and hence 363 days of tea because <laughs> I'm missing the two days. And I have to clarify that because it's usually the first question that people ask, what happened to the two days? You know, <laughs> were you slacking off? And, and, and I will tell you much later on, or I, I can tell you now that some of these bloggers who have found me online just make up their story because they don't even have the time to reach out to me to find out what happened to the two days. But anyway, so... <laughs> and really, the- it's something totally it? literal and, like, it, factual. It, it, it exactly. was like, all right, I thought I wanted to do something on the first. It took me two more days to figure it out. <laughs> yes. Like, it's I just mean, you know, 363 just like, days. Exactly. Just like any resolution, you know, you can't really decide. I mean, it takes you some time to do that, you know. And I was very serious about this creating something every day, and I wanted it not to fail. So on the third day, and I remember I was at a coffee shop, you know, um, in, in, down in Wall Street somewhere. I was thinking, okay, so I, I can do this, you know, um, I, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm envisioning this as, as I'm having my tea. Um, and so I decided it has to be about tea. So it did not really start out to be like a painting or a creation on a tea bag. It had to be about tea. So because I did not have my tools, you know, while I was there, I just started taking photographs. So of my tea consumption, basically. So it was that. <laughs> and then the second day was, you know, so we were already back home. And then, you know, I think it was third or fourth day I was sick and I was having tea with lemon. So I took a picture of that. So it was all like it, it was like this whole body of work about my photography and where it was going to be. So it, this was actually getting to be some kind of a big deal, you know, because I had to be creative. But at the same time, I discovered Instagram. Okay, I already had a Facebook account, and I thought, Instagram, you know, people are talking about, you know, posting on Instagram, and I, I thought, oh, you know, what better way to show off my work? I had no friends. I did not even know how it worked. I had to ask my kids how to do it. <laughs> So, you know, I created my account and I was just happy when I got a one like, a two like. Of course, they were all family members because they were the only people who knew that I had this account, right? But nevertheless, I was just so excited about sharing this with people. And then I got like to 10 likes and and I I was just so ecstatic that I could actually continue to do this. So I had like a, a, you know, a few likes at first. I, do you know that I did not even know at first how to actually post like a, a picture? 
I mean, I had to ask my kids. And then my kids thought, oh, my God, mom's on social media. Time to, like, do something else, you know. Now we got to get like, off Instagram. Yes, the adults not have entered cool the room. Because my mom is on it. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, so after I had that, um, so, so after I started the accounts, I thought, you know, this, it's really great. They, it, it's, it's trying to get people to view your work. I mean, the, this my whole audience is becoming like my focus group, you know, like depending on what they would say, depending on like the comments, you know, I'm starting to sort of feel like hmm, this, it, it's like a validation, you know, uh, of, of something that you're creating. Does that shift what you choose to create or does it just give you more feedback about what you're creating? Like, how does that, how do those two things intertwine? In, or, or, intertwine or how does it impact my work? Yeah. You know? How does it impact your work? It's, it's, you know, because I don't believe in all the comments and I, I cer- that certainly does not really drive my focus. It's helpful, but it, it does not tell me. So if somebody says to me, oh, I hate this, that doesn't mean that I'm going to stop doing it. You know, um, just because one person does not like it, but it certainly gives me an idea of what people want to see, you know, or what people out there prefer over something else, you know. So what I'm hearing is like you're kind of looking at the the trend on Instagram, like if 600 people say they love one of the paintings that features a woman or a bird versus, you know, you post something that's a picture of a Heineken bottle painted on a tea bag, and only 20 people like that, that's giving you a little bit of information about what's more exciting or what's more interesting to folks. Yes, yes, it does. But sometimes it also depends on um, like the season, the time of year, or who are, you know, out there liking it and all that. Like, for instance, um, this is, uh, I'm, I'm digressing a little bit, but I did some work, not just on tea bags, but on paint chips, you know, because I also paint on uh, paint chips because they're free and you can go to Lowe's and Home Depot and, you know, steal some of these paint chips. <laughs> But um, Lowe's so and I, Home Depot. Hope, good thing they're not sponsors of this show right now. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, so um, I I paint on those, and my European followers have no clue what they are. I mean, they just think that I painted on like a small square piece of paper because they don't have such things, you know, as paint chips. Or, I mean, if, if they do, it's not like here where it's easily accessible is what I'm saying. So so some people get it, some people don't. So You, you know what I mean? So And some people Absolutely. can appreciate it because they know that it's just something. I mean, it's, it's not quite discarded or found, but it's just something free. I mean, it could be discarded because it could have been a paint chip that I used for, you know, painting the house and I reused it or repurposed it right but anyway so so this is what happened with the Instagram thing and and so now I'm into two months of this and I am running out of ideas so and you have to understand when I first started the project 
there was no theme to it. I mean, other than tea or tea bags, and it essentially became just paintings on tea bags because they were more interesting looking than, you know, just photographs of tea. So after two or three months, I'm thinking, holy cow, like, what am I going to do? You know, I I can't think of anything creative to, and, and there are just times when there's really nothing that comes to mind. And you have to understand that the, this whole, you know, series was all about momentary impressions. So today I saw, you know, a, a bottle of Heineken. So that's what I, I do. And, you know, it was, uh, you know, a, a sweater that was on sale or something that I decided to paint. But then there was a time when I was just so close to giving this up. And, and, and back then, I mean, it would not have been a big deal. I had oh, maybe 25 followers. And I was not really into, like, how many followers I had versus just really continuing on and persevering, you know, and, and, and just, you know, trying to get this through. And you have to understand, this is at a time when I had a full-time job. I had a full-time job as a graphic designer in Poughkeepsie. So that was my commute from Socket Poughkeepsie. It's like an hour and 15 minutes each day. A long ride. I get home around 6, make dinner. I have to paint so I can post that night. Whoa. Single day. I had to do that except for weekends, you know. So I mean, this this was the this was sort of the the big deal part of the project that people don't realize is no, I was not you know like playing with like ideas all day long and then trying to come up with this in post. I I mean, I was busy doing this job that you were adulting. Yes, I was adulting. You were adulting. (laughs) Yeah, and and you know, and then at night I had to focus on this project that I started that I wanted to see through the end of the year. So, Ruby, Um, I want to bust in with a couple of questions here. The first one is, why was this so important to you to do every day and to and to keep this going? I wanted to to test my discipline. And um, because I feel like without discipline, I am not as likely to work to maxi- maximum capacity. It's, it, it's, you know, you tend to procrastinate as an artist. And I felt that with this challenge, I would be committed to, you know, producing an artwork every day. And I was, I was truly committed to this project. And, and I'm not one to back out of any project, but this was kind of a really big project. You know, to, to have to come up with something every day is, is you know, is, is a big deal. Um, this was important to me because I, I guess I, I was trying to prove not to the world, but to myself that I can do this. Got it. And then you had mentioned, and I want to thank you for mentioning this and being honest about some of the challenges in this project. You Mm -hmm. mentioned there were many times that you felt like just giving up. Yes. Yes. What what were some of those moments? What did they look like for you? Do you remember? Oh, yes. Boy, do I remember. (laughs) Some of them actually were reflected in my work. Um, You will see some some, um, images of maybe a woman just in her in the closet <laughs> <You know? laughs> um and i think i think i titled it 
or maybe I posted something like ever had one of those days, you know, or, you know, with the sneakers up and the foot up or whatever, uh, because I, it, those were just days when I was truly uninspired. And, and I still get those, you know, even now. I still get those. And I, I think it's very important for people to realize that you cannot keep going at 100% capacity every day. I mean, you know, there will be days when there's just, you do not want to do anything but just, you know, veg, you know, in front of the TV or I don't know, you know, do something else with your time other than what you usually love doing. Um, and I think it's healthy, you know. It, I agree. Yeah, I totally to agree. And for frazzled type A women listening who yes. go, who tend to drive at like 110 or try to drive at like 150% most of the time, Yeah, absolutely. please listen to what Ruby just shared. This is important. It, it is true. It, it really is true. And so the one of the other questions I had is then what kept you going? For when you had those moments, you just felt like, I just, I'm not going to post today. Done. Like, I'm no, going to break this streak. No, but, what happened? But, you know, there was actually, well, I, I should not say that. I, maybe there were some days when I would say, there's just absolutely no way that I can post it tonight because this is not even going to be done, you know, like by midnight. And I would post it the next day. And maybe it happened on two or three occasions. But I was really true to my word when I said, you know, I'm going to do this, post this every day. And and so here's the other thing that um, that some people may not realize, um, some people who know about this project but may not know kind of the, the backstories. When I started this project, before I even started the project, I had sent out some applications to, um, uh, one was an art residency in, in, uh, in Italy, and the other one was a workshop. Actually, the workshop I, I knew I was going to do sometime um, before the, the, you know, the, the Italy art residency um, application. So I already knew that I could possibly be going away, you know, um, in the fall of that year. And I was already thinking, how am I going to do that? I mean, if, if I'm in France and what if they don't have Wi-Fi, how am I going to post it? You know, so I already had those things in mind. And so there's a part of me that's saying I have to be prepared for that trip, you know, so maybe I have to create ahead of time. I had to make sure that I was posting every single day, you know, whether they were done ahead of time or not. I just I, I had to, you know. So those were things that people may not know um, were sort of additional challenges to, to this whole series. Um, and, and I did get the, um, the residency in, in Italy that year. And what I proposed to them was that I would be doing uh, paintings on tea bags while I was there that were uh, influenced or inspired by uh, the landscape there. It was just so beautiful where I was, which was right outside of Naples. Wow. Um, That's so cool. What an amazing opportunity. Yes, absolutely. It was wonderful. And so you proposed to them that you were going to do these landscape miniature portraits. Yes, miniature portraits. Um, I I painted a still life um, of you know, fruits and vegetables that we picked up from 
you know, the, the market out there that was sitting on my windowsill. I mean, it's so hard not to get inspired by anything there. I mean, everywhere you looked, you know, I just wanted to paint everything, you know. I mean, what am I going to paint today? Holy cow, there's just so many to choose from. Um, it, it, it was a wonderful experience. My uh, trip to France was more of a workshop. And again, I kind of worked around um, the theme, which was the uh, traveler as an artist, um, the, the travelers and artists, something like that. Um, and we were creating books, uh, travel books from, you know, our experiences and putting them together as a collage or however you wanted to do it. And I decided, well, I'm still, cause I'm still painting on tea bags every day. Uh, I am going to, you know, paint on a tea bag and then create a travel book out of that. And thankfully they did have Wi-Fi, So I was able to post every <laughs> single day. But the funny thing though, is, um, this, this whole thing about being frazzled over, you know, posting that day was the day that we left to leave. I was, I was with my son and I said, Gregory, how am I going to do this? I mean, we are going to be, we were traveling th that day. We were, we're already checked out and there was just no way I was going to sit somewhere and paint something. Right. So here we still needed to go shoe shopping because this was like the last hour before we had to run to the airport. So we're going shoe shopping we get so we're on the plane now. I had 20 minutes before the Wi-Fi was gone. <laughs> Gregory <laughs> thought, "Mom, it can wait." I was like, "No, I gotta do it. I gotta do it now. I have this tea bag, and it's and of course it had to be the tea bag that was from a tea that we had from France, which was muslin. So it, it's so difficult to even paint on it, but you can draw on it. So all I had was a marker, and that's all the time I had anyway. So here I am, I'm, I'm drawing this ballet flats because that was what I picked up for my, you know, my, on my blaster shopping spree. So I'm drawing this and, and, and Gregory is timing me and he's saying, mom, you only have like 10 minutes, you know, before you can post, before we, we, I, it was really, are you sweating and your heart's I, I pounding? Am, I'm sweating and I knew that it did, it looked like crap. But it did not matter. I tried and I posted that day. And that was what I posted. It was not the best thing in the world, but <laughs> but I posted. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I mean, it was like driving me to like, you know, to this. <laughs> and Gregory must have been like, what is my mom on? <laughs> yes. 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 And actually, he thought in the end, Mom, did you just take me so I can take a photo of you doing this thing at the Eiffel Tower? <laughs> no, but it came in handy. <laughs> Bloody. Well, and I have to ask, going back to like all of the trips to, you know, to France and to Italy, when mm -hmm. you proposed the idea of I'm going to come and I'm going to do all these miniature paintings on dried out used tea bags were mm -hmm. people open and receptive or were they like um okay uh -huh. i know i know exactly i mean to this day when somebody asks me what i do i mean they just scratch their heads and i've seen so many of those you know because I, I mean you know what do you expect you know when i say I paint on tea bags like, huh? What? Did you say tea bags? Um, I I actually sent some samples of my work before, um, well, along with it, because you have to do that. You know, I mean, you have to show them your website anyway. You have to show them your work. Um, they absolutely loved it. 
I mean, um, I painted um, something that was on the signage. It was a sculpture that was on the signage on the door. And um, I created a watercolor painting of it and decided to gift it to them the following year. They were just ecstatic to, to the owners, I mean, to the, to the residency owners. Um, they were just ecstatic. But um, it, yeah, so to answer your question, it was more of a, wow, that's a little unusual, but sure, we'd love to see it, you know. Got it. So they weren't totally they weren't totally baffled by what you were doing. So they, they got a chance to see it and they yeah. were into it. So you weren't coming into this residency like <laughs> where they're like, Oh, who is this woman who's going to show up? <laughs> yes. Well, the residency was actually more of a um, recycled art thing. So it was not just limited to painting on the tea bags. So it was also doing, cause I, I also do origami. So I told them that, if they had, and they saved some of these items for me ahead of time, because I said, you know, if you have some crumb wrappers or, you know, just paper bags or something with, with maybe from the bakery, you know, some, some of those wrappers from the bakery, I said, if you could save those for me, I'm going to fold them into bras. Now, actually, that one sort of made them, their eyes pop, like, <laughs> huh, what? Um, I said, well, I, I have this series called Oribrami where I, I fold, you know, I fold these wrappers or, you know, discarded paper into bras. And they actually loved that idea and they could not wait for me to create that. So, I mean, talk about, you know, people raising eyebrows and wondering what the heck these things were. They invited the community. So you have to understand this was a, an art residency on top of a mountain where there were, it was population 900, you know, not too many people, more of the older generation sort of population. And the owner, Raphael, invited them to come to my exhibit at the end of the residency. And you should have seen these people just like, looking at the art, looking at me, wondering what the heck this is. Like, you know, what is this bakery wrapper doing as a brassiere, you know, hanging here like this? Um, and the tea bags, they absolutely love the tea bags. Um, I also painted inside some of the eggs, eggshells that uh, from the eggs that we consumed while we were there. So those were all fascinating to them. And what an experience. So Ruby, I have to ask you, why is repurposing objects and upcycling objects so important to you? Uh, you know, I wish I could like lie and say, because I want to save the world, even though part of it is because of that. You know, I'm, I'm happy that I'm sort of contributing to, you know, to, to that in, in a small way. But I, I think it comes from growing up in the Philippines where there was, really very little resources. Um, we had, I mean, we had, we had a little printing shop uh, when I was growing up, I remember, and I remember repurposing some of that paper, like folding them. You know, my great-grandmother uh, taught me how to do origami when I was five. And, you know, we would just, we would fold them into beautiful objects. And so it, it, it's sort of that... Um, you know, th that part of me that does not want anything to go to waste, 
and and to this day I do that and I do that you know to a fault where my husband thinks we need another house to get all this junk into the house you know <laughs> where else are we gonna put this you know I'm like collecting just about everything from bottle caps to whatever because I have all these projects in mind so so I think it's it's that um, and and I and I just think that it's so beautiful to be able to repurpose things that really should not be thrown out. You, you know what I mean? It's I absolutely it's know what you mean. I know I sent you the link to the 33k task list project that I've been working on mm-hmm. where I'm trying to collect yes and yes. study and then upcycle handwritten original lists from women around the world. And Mm -hmm. so I totally, when you were talking about getting the raised eyebrows or kind of, you know, people's head Mm -hmm. cocked to one side, whenever I tell people that, I met with like, cool, why? (laughs) (laughs) I get a lot of whys, by the way. Yeah. When you say I paint on tea bags, why? Exactly. You know, it's, you know, why not? And Um, it's, as so as someone trying to collect literally a gigantic quantity of a piece of paper that for many women is just a piece of trash when they're done with it. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's also something living and breathing about that piece of paper, right? Yeah. Like, I got a list recently that, you know, it was a one page list, half a page long, pretty neat. And it, you know, it just said defense as like a, a heading and there were some things under it. And when I flipped it over, there was a note from the woman that said, this is the most important list of my life. This <laughs> final list is is for the defense of my PhD that I worked on for six years. Wow. And so it's like you think like, you know, if you saw a, a, a task list just sitting somewhere, you know, in a shopping cart or on the ground or whatever, you don't think there's actually someone behind it who's put so much you know, effort, effort yes, and energy yes. and blood and sweat. And if you're doing a PhD, probably tears into, <laughs> into right, that project. Absolutely. It's, a, yeah, absolutely. it's a living thing. And why not give it a second chance at life, right? Yes, absolutely. And the stories you can come up, you know, come out with, you know, from just a mere task list. Yeah, I, I, I agree. So I have to ask, how did you decide painting on the, the tea bags? Um, well, that was not really a, that was kind of a no brainer. I mean, if you, if you sort of rewind to a couple of years before that, I was painting on pistachio shells. I mean, talk about, you know, people wondering what what the heck is wrong with me. Yes. So I was working with an architecture firm and I love pistachios, you know, as snacks. And, and so these shells would be just laying on my desk. And I thought one day, you know, I, so I started to create a pattern, and I thought, really, it looked interesting. I'm, and, and I'm just using this black fine marker. And so they just sat on my desk, and then people would, you know, come by and admire it and say something about it. But but to most of the people who know me, this was not really unusual. I mean, when they see cranes folded from lint chocolate wrappers on my wall, so it's like, oh, it's just another recycled thing that she came up with, you know. So I, I was always doing that sort of thing, and and so from that, 
I decided to paint in color, you know, so they were color markers on the pistachio shells. So, it, so I'm always trying to create something from like these or from these repurposed objects. And so why not on the tea bag? I mean, at first it was um, an experiment. And I, I don't know if I told you how we even got to the tea bag thing because no, please. So I was doing the pistachio shells. I was even creating some, you know, some creations inside the eggshells. And then one Thanksgiving, my sister from Hawaii was visiting. And she's also an artist. She's an awesome, awesome artist. So Rita was here. And we're having tea. And we're looking at the tea bags that were now just on the saucer. And we're looking at each other. And, and, and this, is, um, this is my sister who can basically finish my sentences. You know, we were, we were roommates in Astoria for a couple of years before I moved upstate. So she, she looks at me and she says, now, what do you think? You know, so. <laughs> so you didn't even need to say it. The, the brain waves were transmitted. No, but our first experiments were, I mean, it was a, a total failure, of course, because we were thinking that we could create art with the tea leaves, so or what was inside the tea. So we opened it while it was still soggy, and we're creating these designs, and we thought, oh, my God, isn't that cool? So, of course, you know, we, we want instant gratification, so we're putting it over the radiator because we're, we're at this hotel somewhere. Um, <laughs> so we're putting this on the radiator, and we're waiting for it to, you know, to dry, and, and we would see what happened. And of course, you know, the, the, they're all dried out. So some of them were already removed, and, you know, so, I mean, it, it was a disaster, but it was a great attempt. And, and so she went back to Maui doing other things with it. I think she did collages eventually with them. And then I came home, you know, just experimenting with color at first. And I thought, oh, you know, it, it can do this, it can do that. And, and to this day, people ask me, who, some who are already, you know, testing out the tea bags, how is it that, you know, it, it smears and how do you keep, you know, keep, well, it's a lot of practice. You know, it's, it's, you can't put too much water on it. You have to, you know, you have to make sure you have more pigment than, than water to be able to create those colors on the tea bags. And then I will also learn not planned, but I will also learn about tea bag construction and how many different <laughs> kinds of tea bags there are. And you know, I'm, I was not really a big tea drinker at first. I can't really even admit that, you know. But then I became that <laughs> because I was desperate for tea bags. <laughs> you had to drink at least, say, I had like, because I imagine there are some that that don't come out as you expect, right? Like you, you not everyone yes. comes out perfect and then immediately goes on Instagram. So. We're looking at what probably n at least nine hundred <laughs> cups of tea. You're going to need to drink that year, right? <laughs> at least, and you know, you have to see my pile of you know failures, my experiments, you know, failed experiments, and uh, and of course, you know, some of my friends who come here say that's that's a failed experiment. I can frame that, you know, but um, yes, because I will find out that some tea bag papers are thinner than others and the one thing about tea bags though is they're all resilient but the porousness i don't know if that's a word but you know they're very porous but some are more porous than others for some reason and some take water better and what i've noticed is the more stained it is 
the better it is to paint on. I know that sounds really strange. Well, there must be some sort of chemical reaction between like either the tea or the tannins or something and then the actual pigment itself, right? Yes, there's just something about it. And of course, it just makes it look even better. Those sepia stains just make the creations even more interesting. I feel like if there are any chemists listening, we need Ruby and I need to understand (laughs) why this why this is happening the way it is. Yes, (laughs) because now I'm I'm equally curious now. I mean, I have my own opinions about certain tea bags that I just, you know, get out there because this is just from observation, not from, you know, a a chemist's point of view. But like, for instance, chamomile tea, I I cannot use those because the tea just sticks to the tea bags, for instance. Oh, yes. The pain in the neck and and it's, you know, it's it's just not worth my time when I have so many hundreds of tea bags now laying here just from, you know, friends and family donating now. Um, And just listening, it's funny, I think, all um, thinking of all the herbs, right? Like my mind goes there and it's like, whoa, slippery elm would probably be a disaster. So would marshmallow. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Or anything that has tea or milk, I think can be okay sometimes. But anything that has honey, for instance, or if you've added sugar to it, it it makes the tea bags stick so much that you, you really cannot use it. Um, because you cannot empty the tea leaves out of it, you know, so you're not able to remove it. It's all kind of sticky. And it's just sometimes it's just not worth the time to empty it when you have like so many hundreds of others to use. So I imagine your your studio or your workspace, do you just have almost like a little assembly line going now of like teas at various stages of like the dehydration process then moves over to the like the creative space? I do. I do. And I have so many kinds of um, empty tea bags already that have been ironed because they have to be ironed, you know, Um, they have to be pressed. (laughs) No, we don't know. What else has to happen to these tea bags? Yes, yes, they have to be ironed. And and some people think iron. And yes, I mean, they can withstand very hot waters, you know, you know, you know, when you stick it in that in your cup. So of course, iron is ironing is, is not a problem. So they're all ironed and in all different shapes. And I even, I think I, I even posted at one time um, and it just said, me next, me next. <laughs> because that's how I look at them like they're all excited. <laughs> that's amazing. Crazy. But anyway. So Ruby, I want to, so here you are, you've, started this challenge, you've decided you're going to paint on tea bags for the remainder of the year, which gets you to your 363 days. Mm-hmm. You've had some of these challenges, like how the heck am I going to post when I'm in this remote location mm-hmm. in France mm-hmm. or in Italy? You've been keeping up with it, barring, it sounds like just a few days where it may have needed to get posted the next day to kind of right. catch up to yourself. But literally, there was a tea bag made for every one of those 363 yes. days. Yes. And you are cruising along. And it sounds like, you know, there are definitely trials and errors. Like, you're figuring out what works in terms of the materials. Like, I, I dare say, like, when you were talking about, you know, trying to post on the plane and get one done really quickly, like, there was this this tension in your voice. And then as you kept talking, 
you know, like you seem like you're talking about the whole experience now even more playfully, right? Like you and your sister kind of having these like knowing looks (laughs) and probably giggling, right? Like, are you thinking what I'm thinking? (laughs) Yes. It sounds like the project just got more playfully and like what Mm -hmm. happened was, is that true? And what happened? Well, what happened was, um, so here I was moving along and, you know, now all, some of the bad days are gone, even though they would come back, you know, once in a while, I would still get through them. Uh, what happened was in the fall of 2015, which is when I did the series, I decided, well, you know, people seem to like it on Instagram. I'm going to post to this. It was a blog called Artists Inspire Artists. And it's a great blog for, you know, some, some artists who are just emerging or just starting and don't know if their art is inspiring other people. Um, they ask for submissions all the time and just introduce. It's, it's supposed to be just a few sentences introducing yourself and your art. And I decided, well, why not? Because I'm just that kind of person anyway. I'll just try anything and, um, and get it out there. So I did. And so... I mean, it was such an innocent post, and I did not even know if I was going to get any response. So did you know that after that, and then I just completely forgot about it. So two days later, so I wake up, and of course now I'm so hooked to this, you know, to the phone, to the Instagram, that I pick up my phone as soon as I wake up. So I, I look at my phone, and I see the notifications, and I see 40 followers. And I'm thinking, what the heck happened overnight? <laughs> and then, you know, like later on that day, I'm getting this surge of followers and I had absolutely no clue. And then the funny, not funny, but like the strangest thing happened. So I'm on my Facebook and I see somebody saying, do you know that you're on Design Taxi? I think that's one of like those design blogs that I actually absolutely loved for some of the graphic design stuff that they, they posted. And I thought, how? Anyway, so what happened was apparently Modern Matt or one of these bigger art and design blogs picked up the story and absolutely loved it and shared it with the whole world. And next thing you know, I'm on board Panda, you know, one of those, um, um, you know, blogs that just have millions and millions of followers. So this is when I guess I learned that this is how what happens or what happens when your art goes viral like how like lucky could I be to like be picked as one of these right so that is when I decided holy cow now the entire world is looking at my work <laughs> I mean I am way past the 25 followers you know it, it was just so crazy and and I think in some ways it made me better or I you know I don't know about better but it certainly made me push myself a little bit more you know so now I'm thinking of like other things to create like bigger bigger things you know? <laughs> I'm thinking okay I am so past that like little daisy now you know I can I can do something else I can do something more complicated um it, it became more you know a bigger challenge and and I absolutely love that because I think that's that was kind of the push I needed to to just get this project through because even at that time I was already counting the days on how many days were left like to get oh. this done. I thought, 
oh, oh my God, I'm past the 200 mark. Oh, how many more days? It was, it was just hysterical. You know, sometimes you just get up. I, I felt like it's, it's like being pregnant and you look at the mirror and you say, oh my God, I'd be like this forever. <laughs> you know, I, when you look at this project, like, oh, is this ever going to end? Is this year ever going to go faster? <laughs> it's funny. Absolutely. Because you forget, or it's like, you know, you can't tell from looking at the Instagram post that you're doing design work, you're doing, which is creative work, and also mm -hmm. work, right? Yeah. Like paid work, yeah. you're having to coordinate, you're having to deliver on often somebody else's timeline. Mm -hmm. So you're doing all of this stuff, plus your own travel, plus mm -hmm. then making art in the evening, which... Making art. Mm -hmm. And also producing work for exhibits, because I was also exhibiting at the same time. I mean, talk wow. about you know, a task list. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it, was, it was crazy. So how did you juggle that? Because I know, and mm -hmm. you know, this is, I, I feel like, full disclosure, this is partly a personal question from me to you. Because I know, like, one of the things I find really hard, especially if I'm not disciplined in being a planner, mm -hmm. you know, there are weeks where I'm very podcast focused and I have to be very, you know, continue to be scheduling the show and recording and preparing and make the podcast be what I want it to be. Mm -hmm. And then there are weeks where I go get the mail and it's, you know, it's a quiet week, maybe two or three lists roll in. And then there's other weeks where I get 25 pieces of mail and, you know, having to, you know, prep all of those task lists and open everything up, take pictures, find a day that's sunny usually to try to do that because I'm not a good photographer at all. You know, there's all these things that you don't see happening behind mm -hmm. the scene. And then within all of these little subtasks, like you're trying to manage these different spheres of your life. Yes. What helped you keep it on the rails? Wow, that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, I, you know, and I, I, I have to say, I, I kind of pride myself in, in that I'm, I'm structured, you know, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm a very organized person to start with, but uh, I mean, to juggle is not, to juggle so many different things is not very easy, but I guess you just have to remain focused, you know, and not be too frazzled. It, it's hard to do. And, um, you know, I, I guess I've, I've also most of my working life, I've always been tasked with so many different things at, at the same time, like multitasking to me is nothing. I mean, that I feel like that word should not even exist because that's what I always do. You know, like I, that, I just call that work, <laughs> you know, I mean, having to do so many different things at, at one time all the time. I'm not sure I, I know quite how to answer that. Um, you know, how how do I juggle, like, so many different things? Yeah, because it, it sounds like, you know, in a day, you're having to do probably, I'm guessing, the administrative mm -hmm. side of the work yes. that you do, right? Yes. Like, the project management, things like that. Yes. Then you're actually having to do the creative work, which 
requires a different kind of energy and a different sort of focus, then kind of having the space for some of these other projects where you're either exhibiting or working on tea bags or working Mm -hmm. on origami Mm -hmm. projects. Those Mm -hmm. are all different types of energy. And I think... Absolutely. I think one thing that's important is like, you know, you mentioned there have been moments where you felt uninspired, mm-hmm. right? So how how do you set yourself up? And I don't know if that's on a daily basis or on a weekly basis or on a project or monthly basis for you, mm-hmm. but how do you set yourself up to make sure you aren't burning yourself out mm-hmm. and you're also you know, and I think this goes hand in hand with not burning yourself out, nourishing that sense of creativity so it it doesn't just dry up. Right. The first part of the question about the organizing and the juggling, I know that I have a calendar on hand all the time. And I do have a structured day. I mean, I I know day, you know, from day to day, what I'm going to do, because I mean, I know my deadlines by the end of the week and, and, and all that. And, and I have this thing about starting work at a certain time and, you know, doing all these things before I even get there. You know, I eat my breakfast, I practice my harp, and then I do this. Or actually, sometimes I can even work out before I do my breakfast and, and do all this. And then at 10 o'clock, I am right here in, the, in front of my computer and I'm doing design work. The, these are the, you know, the client-based design work, that, the billable stuff, you know, that, you know, pay the bills. I do that and then... If I have the rest of the afternoon um, to do art, then I have to prioritize. So what is coming up next? Is it an exhibit? So maybe I work on that first. If I have, you know, I'm shipping framed art somewhere, then I have to do that. And then find a day during the week when I'm going to ship those out so that I can spend the rest of the afternoon doing all this other wonderful stuff. And then, or if we have something going on that night, then maybe, you know, find a little chunk of time to do the teabag that I want to do that day or something like that. So, I mean, there's sort of this loose schedule, but there's, there's some structure to it, you know, during the day. So, but in terms of um, nourishing my creative flow and um, it, I don't know if you call that inspiration, because uh, I think... I feel like Chuck Close said it best when, you know, he said that inspiration is for amateurs, you know, that thing about, you know, inspiration is for amateurs. The rest of us just show up and get to work. Yes. I, mean, I, I I love that because um, that's kind of where I am, where the best ideas come out of process and they just come out of the work, you know, itself. Um, that's kind of, how I am, because people always ask me, where, where do you get the inspiration to do this? I mean, there are some that are obvious, like, you know, I was in Japan, and I, you know, saw these boys on their devices on the train, and they decided to take a picture of it, and, and I painted it. But for the most part, really, sometimes I just go ahead and do something, and it becomes something, you know, and I'm, I'm just so happy when it, it's it's uh, grammable, you know, I can post it. <laughs> Listen to you, um, you're all like grammable. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And I, I guess knowing the crowd that I work with, like, especially as private clients, mm-hmm. your, your really structured day, I love that it's you sit down and it's got this flow to it. It's got this sort of rhythm that you're kind of used to. 
One of the things that I see, and I'm definitely learning from having collected, what, a thousand and seven task lists at this point, mm-hmm. is women who set up time, or I guess I can say people in case there's any men listening, mm-hmm. people who set up time and say, okay, I'm going to work on billable stuff from 10 until we'll just say 1 p.m. as an example, and then are totally unrealistic and overstuff that to like a point where there's no way a team of humans could get all the work done that they think they're going to get done in Mm -hmm. that that hour Mm -hmm. where are you at on that continuum i you know i am very realistic with my you know with deadlines with priorities and I try not to burn myself out that way. I mean, and I think that comes with age, though. You know, it's it's getting older and, and being wiser, hopefully. Um, I don't think I, because I don't think I was like that before. You know what I mean? I, I think I was in that category that you just mentioned earlier about, you know, just, just burning yourself out, you know, on a project. But I have learned that, you know, it's not the end of the world. If you don't finish it today, you know, I mean, it, it, it truly is. I mean, you can go out, take a walk right now because you are so frustrated with a design that you've been illustrating, you know, for the past two hours and it's not coming out the way you want it to be. So you just have to be um, realistic, I think, with um, with your deadlines with to, to yourself. Um, I, I think that's part of sort of where I am now, you know, Um I mean, I have learned to relax. <laughs> I, I really have. Isn't that weird? I mean, because if you ask uh, five years ago when I was working with that marketing agency, I was really kind of stressed out all the time, but it was a good stress for me because it was more of a challenge. It was like a design challenge, working with different corporate clients and you know coming up with different projects. I mean, it was not always the same, which made it really wonderful. Um, but now it's you know i'm i'm doing i'm i'm my own boss i work from home and i have all this wonderful time and why ruin it with you know with stressing yourself out with something that you can really you know avoid or manage and i this is just i'm intuitively going in a different direction and maybe my hunch is wrong but how do you define success for yourself now? And is that sort of related to this feeling of just being more kind to yourself, relaxing, like breathing into it a little bit more? Yeah, it, it, it's more the latter. So if you asked me again, you know, several years ago, what success meant to me, success would have been kind of synonymous with something monetary, you know, so money would have been more important to me. But um, if you want to know the truth, and this is full disclosure, my husband is also my accountant. So he gets the book. So at the end of the month, you know, I'm all stressed out about, you know, trying to get those receipts to him. So at the end of last year, and it was a good year for me, I was very happy with, you know, everything I had produced. So early this year, he says to me, honey, you want to know something? Um, Last year, what you made was below poverty level. And I just laughed. 
you know, I just laughed because it did not seem that way. I truly did not even think about it in those terms. You know, so I did not sell that much art. I didn't have that many clients. But why is it that I don't feel so bad? So if you ask me now what what I how I would define success, it, it really, again, it has to do with, I think, being older and wiser. It's just, it's being happy. It's just being happy with what you do. I mean, this, this it, it sounds kind of trite or maybe corny even, but, but it, it really is true. I mean, that to me is success. When you have come to this point in your life, when you're happy with what you're doing. I mean, I, I think that's what everybody should strive for, right? I mean, it's not all about money. I mean, that, that's just me. No. Or maybe it's because, you know, I feel like I have, I have a husband who makes money and I have, you know, insurance through him. Maybe I, I feel a little bit more secure that way. But I have never been happier in my life and I am not making that much money. So what is wrong with me? Nothing's wrong with me. That, that to me, is success. Ruby, this question makes me so happy to hear your honesty. And I want to thank you for your full disclosure. Mm-hmm. And full disclosure in return, my first career out of college was as a CPA. So numbers and metrics mm-hmm. are often how I think. I was probably the most unlikely CPA. And if, you know, people see me now with my asymmetrical haircut and my pierced nose. <laughs> It would be hard to believe that my first job out of school was at PricewaterhouseCoopers. But, <laughs> but I guess I, I think there's something really important. And honestly, it's something that I find myself, it rears its head up for me. And, and I have to sort of, it's like whack-a-mole. Like I have to kind of whack mm-hmm. it down again. Mm-hmm. My formative years were all about counting beans, right? Like counting mm-hmm. other people's money. Mm-hmm getting as much, making as much money for other companies. Um, My formative career was in trouble debt restructuring and bankruptcy. So kind of coming into painful, chaotic, broken messes and cleaning up messes. Mm -hmm. And so the money and the metrics and, and all of that, like I was compensated well in that life. And, you know, over the last decade, I've chosen this other life but it's hard to shake off that metric of money because it's mm-hmm. such a defining measurement, right? And mm-hmm. that's that's how I think. So I guess what helped you make that switch? Hmm. I mean, I don't think it was kind of a conscious incident, you know. Um, it it's it's a uh, it's kind of a feeling. It's it's a state of being, you know. Um, and and actually, it's just the past couple of years that I've noticed this of myself, where I worry less about. Um, gosh, I'm I'm am I even looking trendy these days? You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, like I you know can can I still go out like this? I mean, are these sneakers okay? I I don't worry as much about those things anymore. Um, and I I I think. I feel my best when when I can produce something that pleases me, you know, and it is not even about pleasing the world. I mean, it's great when I can also inspire, 
the whole world with with my work that's that's even better if i can do that but if i can do all these things that i do and still make people happy and make me happy you know um as well i i think i'm i'm okay with that you know i'm really okay with that is there a certain metric if not money i mean it sounds like happiness but how do you how do you see that in a in a day right like if you have one of those days where everything you're supposed to do happens late everyone you're supposed to hear from doesn't call your computer starts smoking none of your apps work your phone dies that, like, that happens oh yeah oh yes <laughs> yes it does <laughs> i remember recording one podcast where i got shocked in the ear like for the first 15 minutes through my headphones and was like this is not working today <laughs> So yes, those days happen, but how do you remind yourself when you're in it? When you're in that space of, is what I'm doing matter? Mm-hmm. How do you measure that for yourself? How do you remember that? How do you get back to your why, maybe? <laughs> That's a very difficult question. But the one thing that I know or I learn from bad days is, it's days like those that make you appreciate the good ones. I mean, you know True. what I mean? I, I, I know that that sounds so so kind of silly, but when I'm, and of course at the moment, you're not even thinking that, you know, you're not thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I can just let this go because tomorrow I will. It, it's not like a, a conscious thing that's happening at the, at the time, but the next day is not going to be as bad. And it really does make you look at the previous day like, that was just another day. Today is actually a little bit better. And it could even be better tomorrow, you know. There's that time when you just have to realize that days like those happen. I mean, good days come, bad days come. I mean, I was just talking to a girlfriend the other day about, you know, Kathy, does this ever happen to you where there's absolutely nothing you want to do for the day other than put your feet up and, I don't know, put together these laundry tickets that because I'm, I'm doing this project with laundry tickets um, and, and I'm creating an apparel out of it. Um, you know, so many people think that I'm like always busy and I'm traveling the world. And I, I saw this guy last night who said, aren't you supposed to be in Berlin? Aren't you? And I'm, so I said to my husband, if only they know that there are days when I have my feet up and I'm watching Law and Order and I'm pasting these laundry tickets. Like, visualize that, you know, like... And and they think I'm just this world traveler, but here I am in my pajamas, and it's already two o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm I'm watching Law and Order back to back, and I'm pasting these laundry tickets that I don't even know what it will amount to, you know. But it, I mean, it's you know, it's just being realistic, I guess, you know, and um, and uh, and I think that helps to sort of ground me, you know, it's and I, I really do not let this little sort of fame get to my head because it's just a small window and it kind of goes away. <laughs> of course, um, of course. And Ruby, one of the things I hear in private sessions and and just out in the world at large from a lot of women is how they're not good enough in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. And I thought you'd be a really appropriate person to ask about advice for women listening who don't think they're creative enough. Oh, um, 
oh gosh, like really just be easy on yourself, you know? Um, I have been asked that and what I say is baby steps, you know? You can't create something big right away. I mean, start small, choose a realistic medium and don't be too hard on yourself. I think we beat ourselves up for like the wrong reasons because we have such high expectations. And I'm, you know, I want to say that uh, I actually have, and I think this is the reason why I always strive to do something better is because my standards are so up there. Like, am I crazy or something? You know, I, I say, is this good enough? I mean, to most people, it's it's the best that they can do. But to me, I can do something better. I, I And that's always my, my mantra. I'm like, what is wrong with me? But there's really nothing wrong with that. I'm just that kind of person. But in some ways, it's uh, it's my way of growing, you know, it's my way of developing new ideas, it's my way of uh, discovering new things. But to most people, that may not be so, you know, maybe that's that's way too big for them. So just start small. I mean, everybody's creative in their own way. I mean, you, you know, it may not be a painting kind of creative, but just something that you do with your hands and, and just just try something out and it may not it may not be successful the first time around but you have to just keep doing it and i think part of of this whole thing is really just perseverance and persistence i mean that's that is what i did and that's how i got through that entire series that entire project so here's a funny question do you think things like instagram or like how you view your work mm-hmm. would be different if Instagram existed back in your 20s, say, yes. like when you were getting out of college, right? Because you studied art, too. This yes. wasn't just something you picked up a brush and were instantly a, right. a genius at it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you had the natural talent, but you I also was. trained you a know? lot. No, no, no. <laughs> no. Um, actually, it was not a formal school of art. So I studied architecture and fine arts. And I decided when I came to the States that I really lean towards the fine arts more than the technical parts of, uh, you know, technical um, parts of architecture. So I went to Art Students League. So it's not, you know, and, and they they were just drawing classes. They were not formal classes, but I I was always creative and I was always artistic and I knew that I wanted to develop that sort of thing in me but but yes you're, you're right it's not like I just picked up a brush and created so, so it was it was more like it developed over the years um so now I forgot your question <laughs> I guess do you think our more instant gratification through things oh. like Instagram how do you think that would have impacted your art right like there's this expectation that everyone's like they're planning the book before they've painted the first tea bag. Right, which was not true in my case. I, I totally forgot to even tell you the story about how the book came out. But but to answer your question, I think my art would have been maybe discovered earlier. I would be a better artist now, I think, had it been discovered earlier only because I would have gotten feedback on my work a lot earlier and I would have known whether or not to even pursue it you know, um, earlier on. 
in terms of my book, that was not my goal. I mean, as, as you learned from me when I told you the story about how I started the series, it was, I feel like I was just messing with these tea bags and just trying to see if people will even accept it, you know? Um, at the end of 2015, so now here I am. So in the fall, it went viral and I was getting calls from The Guardian, from all these holy mackerel like you know, <laughs> how did they find me um so so now i'm in the papers i'm getting press requests you know media requests can we have your image can we you know and i had to learn to take a selfie because i didn't even know how to do that um so at the end of the year the agency closes shop so he decides, since there were only two of us left, that he, you know, he can't pay the rent anymore, whatever the story was. So now I'm left unemployed. The series, I mean, talk about a downer, okay? So yeah. now my series is done, and now I am without a job. I'm 58, 59, whatever that was. Um, and I was not particularly keen on, you know, getting my resumes out at that point. <laughs> So, so I said to my husband, you know, I think I'm just going to do freelance work, you know, at home. And then, you know, I'm looking at the series, what am I going to do with it now? And I really want to engage my followers because there were so many people who wanted for me to continue, but I was not about to do it every day anymore. So I said, maybe I can do it every week, you know, that's more manageable for me, even though I really did not have very much to do at that point. So I decided to continue it on a weekly basis, but at the same time, I thought with the series, I could do something with it. Like creating a book, I had absolutely no clue what, what it entailed, you know. I think I can make a book out of it. Maybe it's just like creating, I'm a graphic designer, I can create PDFs of the pages, and maybe that's how it works. So I did a lot of research, I had to find a publisher who would even like the idea, um, and I was lucky that the first person that I reached out to absolutely love the idea. Wow, um, those are good odds, one for one. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And um, and the fact that I was producing the, the graphics, because um, then I eventually learned that, yes, that is actually how you do it. You, you just produce these pages like you would, you know, a, a, a piece of graphic and create PDFs and send it to them and all that. And I actually saved a bunch of money just by doing my own graphic design work. I will find out. So anyway, so so he gave me a deadline. And again, I was set to doing something every single day because I had this deadline to meet. All the files had to be in by a certain day. So that's all I did the first three months of 2016 because they needed the files by spring to be able to get it out because I had this thing in my mind about releasing it in September. Like, aren't I crazy? I mean, here I am. I don't even know about, you know, getting a book out, but I'm thinking about timing. I'm thinking about people are going to forget about me if I publish this in five years, you know? That's crazy. Do it now. And I had no reason why not to do it. So I, I got the files in and I had an exhibit. So this was my very first exhibit in New York City in 2016, the fall of 2016. And guess what the theme was? It was about uh, recycled art. It was called um, Salvaged, Reimagining the Familiar. That was the, the theme. So I was um, exhibiting my bras and uh, the tea bags, of course, some of the tea bags anyway. 
and um, my pistachio shells, all these things that I had created um, on, on recycled objects. So I had that in mind as, um, as the release of the book, the opening of the exhibit, which was September 6th, I still remember. Um, and we hit it. So I, I got my first copy in August, and I was ecstatic. I was so thrilled. Aww. You know, I mean, what an accomplishment. When I had the, um, the release date available, I got my, I had the nerve to like tell people that, you know, the book was coming out and, you know, you can pre-order your book. I hit my, I think I had over 500 pre-orders. Can you believe that? It was crazy. That's it was just amazing. Crazy. Yes, people from all over. And I will learn later on that some of them were tea companies who had been following me and I had no clue. Um, tea companies were, were so excited and so thrilled you know that I was doing this um there were actually people who were asking me if it was copyright infringement to use the the tea tag you know like the Lipton or the Twinings oh and, that's you right know, I, never, I never thought of that I just like created and posted do you know that now tea companies are reaching out to me so I would paint on their tea bags <laughs> like how things were turned around it's like you know we have these turmeric bags that you know that produce this orange hue wouldn't you want to paint on it and you know oh my goodness so I just love it I, I love how this whole thing went in all in so many different directions and and all positive I mean there was some negative but you know they certainly don't overweigh the the positive ones or outweigh the positive ones do you think it happened because you were so loose about what you saw, like, past the 363 days. And I guess the reason I ask this is I think about my own project with the 33K, and I'm constantly met with, well, what are you going to do with them? Right. You know, beyond just, like, collecting them. Right. And I feel like I'm collecting a medium that... It turns out it is actually harder to get people to give up their task list than it is to to <laughs> do, like to do a fundraiser with cash, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. which is has been really surprising to me in the last year and a half. So I'm a long way before having mm -hmm. the quantity that I need to do what I sort of loosely envision, mm -hmm. right? And I'm still trying because as a planner and as someone who I've been saying I'm a creator because I don't know and I'm still uncomfortable with the word artist. I know what I'm making is art, but mm -hmm. I feel like I'm more creating. Um, and that's probably my own hang up to work out in therapy sometime. But mm. that, that's just semantics. I mean, you call yourself whatever. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But I think um, you were so loose about mm -hmm. like, I'm just doing this as like a test of my discipline yes. and my creativity yes. and just mm -hmm. to follow it through. Mm -hmm. I feel like as I go out in the world and I'm trying to collect the task list, I'm constantly met with, well, what's it going to be? Mm -hmm. How do you balance that, right? Because you weren't going into your project thinking, well, this could be a book at the end or I could do a documentary mm -hmm. about the process. Right. And I right. think that's how so it many people think. Like, how did you not let that, like, I'm sure you were met with that kind of stuff. How did you not let it pull you off of your game? Um, 
I think you just really have to be easy on yourself and set some realistic deadlines. And um, even with the book, when I when I decided, you know, I can make that was a risk. That was a risk I took. I had absolutely no idea where it was going to go, if I was going to sell any more than, you know, those pre-orders, because those were already people that I could reach out to on social media. And what about the rest of the world? What about the rest of the copies that I ordered? You know, are they even going to be, uh, you know, are people going to buy it? So, I mean, how do you, you, you really just have to be realistic and not be so hard on, on, on yourself, on, um, I mean, your, your project is is quite monumental, and I'm I'm not even sure what the why the magic number of thirty three thousand uh, what what that means. Square footage um, calculation. Oh, <laughs> the math. Assuming the jar, yes, assuming that most people would probably give me like I'd collect a lot of post it sized things. Ah, it's it, just got, a square got, footage. Got Ah, okay. Okay, got it, got it. Um, okay, so, so you need that task list to be on a particular piece of paper? Just, it needs to be on a physical object, right? Okay, like, so we, okay. like I'm getting napkins, I'm getting, you know, the Starbucks coffee rings, I'm getting... Love it. Someone yeah. went into Staples and tore off a piece of the sign and wrote their list on that. I <laughs> love it. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Or on a paint chip. Or on um, a paint chip. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, I am just, so I, I know it sounds silly if I say, I feel like I'm just making this up as I go along, you know? You oh, I am totally to making this up as I go yes. along. Yes. For anyone it's, thinks this that this is some big organized marketing campaign, like I certainly have like a vision of like what I want the project to be once I have these lists, like how I want to use them. Yes. But for where I'm standing right now, probably, you know, in year two of what might be a 10 to 15 year collection and just, you know, eventually I'm going to sit in a pile of thousands of task lists and have to figure out like, okay, I've been thinking about this vision for 10 or 15 years, but like, how do things stick on the wall? Do I want it to be an installation or do I want it to be, you know, do I want to make like the equivalent of the Oscar or hot dog mobile or wiener mobile where it's something Mm -hmm. that can be a moving experience? You know, all of these thoughts are going through my mind on the regular, but I am winging it. I would yeah. say like 95% of the time right now. <laughs> That's the best way. And do you know when I say um when I say I'm just making this up as I go along it really is not so far from from the truth. I I kind of really am. Um again when I first started this I had no idea that you know the tea shops the tea companies would would uh, like this would appeal to them this project, right? So now for instance, a tea shop will reach out to me and say, you know, can do you, do you think you can do an exhibit? Do you think you can do this? I had absolutely no clue that that would happen at this time in in my life and this time of the year. You just have to work with it. You work with whatever happens, you know, and sometimes you don't. Maybe you, you don't want that project. But this is what's been happening to my life that are totally unexpected. Um my project went viral again 
earlier this year. For some reason, it got picked up again as though it did not happen in 2015, <laughs> which was great. You know, which was great. Which is some- amazing now that you have the book out too. <laughs> Isn't it? it? It is. It really is because they always mention the book, which is great. So January, somebody, you know, you know, found me and actually did some kind of a YouTube thing about my art, you know, in, in, you know, in Philadelphia, exhibit in Philadelphia. And then uh, headline news had me, I, I was like totally floored when somebody shared with me that I'm on headline news and, and they're showing my, my artwork and they're saying my name. I'm like, they're saying my name. <laughs> um, and, and then I got a call and no, I did not get a call. I got an email from CNN travel. I'm like, I have hit the jackpot, you know, <laughs> CNN travel. And they wanted to see. And, and of course, at this point, I had already traveled. I had gone to France. I had gone to Japan. And I did the series there, you know, for all those art residencies. So they were doing, She's this lady was going to interview me, said, you know, can you, are you available tomorrow? And of course, yes, it didn't matter that I had a dentist appointment. Yes, I will do <laughs> the interview tomorrow. Um and they were going at it from a travel angle because I, I wasn't sure like what what the appeal was CNN travel and then tea bags and she said no no we're we're interested in in the series that you did when you, you went to Japan France and and all that so so which totally made sense so I did the interview with them and you know she called and did this and of course it didn't come out till like two months later which was fine but that was all it took. So it was, it had, I already had this and I was like struggling to get to like the 6,000 followers at the end of, I mean, I am now at like close to 15 to 16,000. It's, it's amazing. Like how, how it grew exponentially in just a, a matter of months. Um, Wow. But anyway, so yeah, so this is, so this is what happens, you know, when, when you're, while you're sleeping, you know, you know, somebody <laughs> picks something, somebody thinks that this is so wonderful and, and marvelous and, and decides to share it with the entire world. And I now have like all these people from all over the world, not just admiring my art, but purchasing my art, which is really nice. Um, and some of these tea shops, as I started to tell you, um, they reach out to me to find out if I'd be interested in coming out doing a little workshop, doing a little demo, maybe doing a little book signing, which is so nice, you know. Um, so uh, this is sort of my life now as, as, as a teabag artist. Um, I love it. Thank yeah, you for sharing this journey. It's amazing. It, uh, yes, very. It, it was, it's an unplanned success, if you will, but uh, I'm loving it. I am so happy to meet you and to hear this story. Like, Thank you. And before you, you mosey back into your day, I feel like these last questions that I try to ask every guest, I'm sort of, I don't know, slowly stitching some sort of sonic quilt together. Mm -hmm. And I feel like now that we've gotten a chance to know you, I want to bounce some of these other questions off of you. Are you down? Okay, sure. How would you define being a modern woman? Being a modern woman, uh, I mean, to me, it's making the time for yourself and um, making yourself a priority. Um, that, that to me, is, is sort of 
how... By the way, there's no correct definition. There's no correct answer. I think it's such an interesting question because we all see it through a very different prism. So your answer is just as valid as any of the other guests I've asked this question of. Okay, Um, because I I feel like um, right now, what's most important to me, and I don't know if this answers the question, is doing what makes you happy and not what other people demand of you. Um, I mean, easy for me to say now, I would not have been able to say that, you know, years and years ago. Um, But it, it really is important to make yourself a priority, making yourself, you know, as job number one, being able to, to struggle uh, to balance your, your life, you know, your family and your, my art and, you know, and everything else. I, I think a modern woman these days is just so many different things. I mean, it's, it's so different from, you know, when I was in high school in the Philippines than, than, than now, where there are just so many different opportunities. I mean, do whatever you like doing and do it now. Don't wait. I mean, that would be my, you know, why? I mean, uh, uh, tell my mom, don't buy green bananas anymore, you know? <laughs> You have to do it now. Do whatever it is that, that, you know, you want to do. Why wait? A question I normally ask is, what would you like to see modern women give more of a shit about? And based on what you just shared, I'm hearing to not hesitate, to really don't wait, to make these things happen. No, take risks. I mean, again, it's easier said than done, but really, take a, take a risk. I mean, what, what can go wrong? I mean, and, and things can go wrong, but, I mean, don't just, don't just admire the problems, you know? Find a solution. Um, I mean, that, that's my motto these days. Again, maybe it comes from being older and just a little bit wiser, and, and I think people should, should really listen to that. I mean, I listen to, you know, people who tell me these things nowadays that make sense to me, that didn't make sense, you know, when I was a lot younger. Um, but, but really, just, just do what it is that makes you happy and, and, and do it well. Great advice. And what would you like to see modern women give less of a shit about? Ugh, politics. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I I think it's so silly to be embroiled in things that you have very little control over. That is what I will say, you know, without going into details. Um, don't waste your time on, you know, crap. I mean, so are, I mean you, are you saying like positive. not take action or not oh, no, let no, it no, eat you I, alive? I think you need to take action for, for things that you truly believe in. But I see people out there who are just totally, I don't know, I'm, I hate being negative. Uh, and, and actually, that is one of the things that um, I, I always try to push is to always be positive. You know, don't dwell on the negative. Maybe that's, that's a way to generalize things. Like, don't dwell on the negative. If you're not happy with the way things are, yes, go ahead and do something about it. But, um, you know, do it in a positive way. Do it where the results will be positive. 
Got it. Got it. I can relate to what you're saying because I think the letting politics consume us to the point where we're not actually taking care of ourselves and and functioning, you know, mm-hmm. in day-to-day life. And again, I am a white woman mm-hmm. who, you know, I guess I'm middle class, although middle class becomes more and more elusive yeah. these days. Um, so it's it's from a position of privilege that I can say that, mm-hmm. you know, but the, the balancing like, or just focusing your energy, like where is it you're going to yeah. make change as opposed yes. to trying to make change on 50 different topics, mm-hmm. 23 hours a day, like, my hunch is that you will burn out and the effect will be like short lived. Even like you approached your project, right? It was like one tea bag a day, not mm-hmm. 12, not 24, mm-hmm. not 36, mm-hmm. not 200. It was one yeah. tea bag a day. Yes. And I think like if you can break things down into bite sized pieces and just continue to move the needle, like can we, can we make the shifts that we want to see in the, in the, the world of politics these days? That's right. That's right. And and I have to admit that, I mean, you know, the, this will probably make it obvious, um, uh, you know, what it was that I was very unhappy about in 2016. But that sort of fueled my, this push to become even more creative, because that was my way of making the negative into positive, you know, and what was that that Meryl Streep said about um, making art out of a broken heart, something like that? I just totally loved that. I totally loved that, and I embraced it. And I said, why am I just, you know, stressing myself out, being depressed about why things happened the way they did, when I can convert it, I can translate it into something beautiful, you know? It's... I don't know, pick up another paper bag and create something out of it, you know, I'll do another series, go somewhere else, you know, and, and, you know, be inspired by, by the, the, the wonderful things that are there. I mean, that, that's sort of actually what, what drove me to, to create even more. And what's interesting is you sharing that, you know, and having people understand that that was kind of like rocket fuel for you mm-hmm. <laughs> over the last couple of years in terms of your creative output and what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is inspiring. And, you know, I, I think we forget sometimes how interconnected things are. And this is where I can get a little off track and ethereal for certain. But I love the connections between things. And I love the interstitial space between things. And so as you were sharing that, I'm thinking, if people who are fighting the fight on the front lines, right, the people who are protesting, the people who are out there, mm-hmm. the people mm-hmm. who are marching, the people who are, are doing that frontline work, mm-hmm. if they get inspired and energized by seeing your work or the work of other artists who I think there's a lot of you working artists right now that feel this way, right? That if that can then energize and and mm-hmm. help with the depletion and the burnout of, of those mm-hmm. other folks, like, yes, can yes. we see more change? Yes. We tend to think of it, it's like, well, art's over here and science is over here and yes. technology is over here and politics mm-hmm. is over here, but they it's so enmeshed. And, yes, absolutely. 
Absolutely. I'm so excited you're you're doing what you're doing. And thank you. I know talking about politics, especially when other people are listening, is a totally uncomfortable thing. So I hope you felt safe and thank you for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for letting me share, you know, everything that I've shared. Um, I, I mean, I hope that somehow, somewhere, you know, somebody will be enlightened by it. <laughs> oh, I don't know how people won't be. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and before I, before I let you go, what do you most want La Vital Core Salon listeners to know? What do you really hope they take away from this conversation today? To not give up. <sighs> Great. I message. mean, there's, I mean, there, I mean, I, I guess that's a kind of a fully loaded answer in, in some ways, but just find what it is that makes you very happy and, and do more of it. You know, it's, um, I mean, I, I know it's so general, it's such a general statement, but, um, you know, just don't dwell on the negative and, and be positive. Well, Ruby, this conversation and everything you shared and your experience and your wisdom and opening it all up for everyone listening and me included, who's a huge fan of your work. <laughs> thank you. Like, I can't thank you enough. This has been just such a joy of a conversation and... I know I'm certainly in the show notes and everywhere going to be directing people to Instagram. Is there anywhere else that women who want to know more about you and your work should go? Um, they can go to my website, which is, um, well, www.rubysilvius.com. Um, I'm also on, I'm, I'm actually on, you know, Twitter, I'm on Tumblr and on Facebook as well. Yeah, so they can check out my work over there. It's, I mean, it's, it's been wonderful. Social media, I cannot thank social media enough for, for just being there and, and sharing my work all over. It's, it seems to be inspiring so many people, so I'm very happy. Oh, thank you so much. And I wish you continued bountiful handfuls, gobs of success. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much. Bye-bye, Ruby. Bye. Take care. Hey, 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 it's Kara again. Thank you so much for joining Ruby and me for this conversation. You can find all of the links and resources mentioned in this episode over at levitalcoresalon.com so l-e-v-i-t-a-l c-o-r-p-s s-a-l-o-n dot com and new shows are going to be up on the second and fourth Wednesday of each month but if you don't want to have to remember that or think about that fact ever again the easiest things you can do is one subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts And if you have any trouble, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at VitalCore, and I'm sure I have a link that I can send to help you do that. The second way you can just forget about when these podcasts happen and just let them come to you is to subscribe to the email list. And you can do that at this very same website, levitalcoresalon.com. Did you think of someone you know as you were listening to Ruby and I talk today? 
If so, please take a moment before you slide back into your day to share this podcast with that person. This podcast is the little podcast that could, and I know I'm constantly trying to talk about the podcast and share it, but with all of your help, this podcast can grow, and this community can grow, and we can continue to learn and connect to each other and put more ideas out in the world, put more connection out in the world, put more creativity out in the world, put more good vibes out in the world. So again, you don't have to share it with a million people. You don't have to queue it up in social media if you don't want to. Just simply sharing it with one person that you thought of and just saying, I thought of you when I listened to this is so helpful and I will be forever grateful. As always, I want to thank my team. I want to give a special and kind of weird shout out today to the skunks that were screaming this morning when I woke up. I don't know if they were mating or fighting, but a little YouTube homework revealed that it was probably skunks. And I'm super glad that as I recorded with Ruby today, that that was not happening in the background, because I think this would be a very different episode with that kind of Jurassic Park-like background noise. And I want to thank my team and the people who helped make this show possible. So that's my producer, Craig Snyder. That's Darlene Victoria. And that's Rishi Deer of Elephant Stone and the High Dials for my theme song. And don't forget, you deserve a life spiked with passion and slathered with joy. Don't let bullshit or burnout stop you.